Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. It's much better. It's great to be here. My voice is, is slightly going, um, and the rest of it's just the Irish accent. I apologize, but uh, it, is, it, is, it is just a privilege to be at the Shepherds Conference. Was the singing this morning amazing or what? Wasn't it just fantastic? It is, a, it is, it is just extraordinary how singing and singing to one another and with relief lifting our heads and our minds and our imaginations from all the things that distract us and torture us to sing to the Lord what it, what it does for each one of us. And, uh, and uh, it was, th- th- this morning was special, yesterday was, it was special and it is, it is a privilege for us to get to come to this, um, to, take, to accept the honor of Dr. MacArthur's interview Basically, just to come to have, to have the privilege of playing the piano for you guys to sing. You know, I think I made, I think today I actually made a mistake in every verse of Across the Lands, and it just didn't matter because you guys weren't listening. So it was fantastic. <laughs> so, so, so I am having a blast. And what with getting rid of the Irish weather yesterday as well, it's even better today. So, so we are honored to be here. Um, we, um, I, I, as you know, I'm from Ireland. I grew up, I grew up uh, from Northern Ireland. I grew up uh, in a Christian home. And uh, a short time after that, I went to uh, a pagan country. Uh, it was called England. You may have heard of it. And, uh, and trying, to, trying, to help, trying to help these pagans understand faith, I decided the way to obviously win someone to the Lord is to beat them aggressively in an argument and humiliate them and then prove to them how stupid they are in front of a room of people, because obviously after that, they're going to get down on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? And uh, <laughs> so that was my early kind of slightly, you know, angry fundamentalist approach to, to, to reaching the loss. But I had two very early debates. One of them was with a, a guy who had a starred first in theology from Emmanuel College, Cambridge. And, but he was studying with a guy called Don Cupid, who those of you who are theologians will know, was, was the, Ang- the Anglican Church's first public atheist. And uh, so he was actually, an, he was a, in practice, he was an atheist. And uh, he tried to prove to me that God didn't exist. And of course, with his theological nuances, it, it was a tough, it was a tough experience for me. And the next debate was with a guy who had come from an Islamic background in Wales. And his family had moved to Wales from the Middle East. And he got, he turned to Christianity and decided to go into the Christian ministry. Like many of you, he went to theological college, although went to one in Britain that was, would not have been what we would call confessional. Then did a master's in theology, and during the master's in theology, converted back to Islam with the goal of converting all of Britain to Islam one day, publicly telling me that a day would come that Sharia law in Britain would take over and that he would take great pleasure in executing me, um, but that he'd be free afterwards if I wanted to hang out. And uh, so (laughs) that was my first two debates. And uh, that happened in the first three weeks of being away from home, away from my nice little parents' home where we you know, where we sang, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus on Sunday nights before going to sleep. And uh, the interesting thing was it was the most extraordinary inoculation of what the 21st century world is like. The challenge, the challenge of other faiths and particularly other fundamentalist faiths in the world and the challenge of no faith. And, uh, and of course, the philosophies that grow out of the faith that, is athe- that, that derives itself from atheism are going to be greater for us 
and our congregations and our children, my four little daughters who I kissed goodbye to this morning, and God, in, in God's providence, our grandchildren. And uh, we live at a unique moment in history where God all, always has wanted us to grow deeply in our relationships with him. But the urgency with which we have to build deep believers in the next generation has never been greater. It is the most exciting moment in history, in my opinion, to be a Christian. There are more believers in the world today. The Bible is in more languages. The opportunities and the change of communication that has happened since I was born is unparalleled since the Gutenberg printing press in the 15th century. The opportunities that we have to share the beautiful love of Christ with the lost world is greater. The opportunity that we have to pastor congregations who will make that difference is extraordinary. But the challenges are also the same. To quote Charles Dickens in his famous book, we live in the best of times and we live in the worst of times. So my, as, as a musician, I grew up in a group of friends. I grew up, we heard a Bible study when I was in upper sixth. And I used to meet in our house and we have a Bible study. Then afterwards we'd order in Chinese food and we'd sit and talk till about two in the morning. And it was just brilliant fun. Five of those guys became pastors and, and the, the, the implication they made from the Puritan books they were reading was that I should be a pastor as well. And for one reason or another, I felt that I was actually, I was more important for me to be a musician, but I couldn't quite work out whether I should be a pastor or a musician. And in the providence of God, we started writing these hymns in the year 2000. Um, I think I sat in one, one worship service too many where I just wanted to jump into the sea afterwards. I was so mad at the stupid songs that were singing. And I thought, we've got to do something about this. And so we started to write hymns. And, uh, and, and, and the first hymn that we wrote was, was called In Christ Alone, which most of you probably know. And that really opened the, way, the door to start trying to write hymns that teach the faith in the second half. But part of the reason the song was called In Christ Alone was my hero was Martin Luther. And Luther, 501 years ago, uh, began a movement called the Reformation, which was through the preaching and the singing of the word. He looked, as he said, as I read the Old Testament, and as I read the New Testament, as I study the church fathers, uh, it seems that God's people learn their faith in significant part through what they sing. Indeed, the, what we leave as the, the songs that we give our people are utterly crucial to, their, to, the, to the spiritual depth and the spiritual health. Indeed, Luther from 1517 to 1524 spent a significant amount of his time trying to build a collection of chorales so that this new church that in Europe were really on their own and attacked on every side, would grow up to be deep, courageous, joyful, confident, articulate, attractive believers in a world that mocked them. And uh, so and in 2020, he began his first hymn book. But, um, but Luther's image was that, his image, which is interesting, was actually that, that, that God's people will, well, the teachers will help us understand the word. They'll open the word and explain it to us and you will carry the word out of church through the songs that you sing. It's not a foolproof argument, but it's a very interesting thing to think about. He says, as I study, he said, that was what he saw, was what he saw was the general trend in church history. But it's very different to our generation where most of us, I hope, are trying to really faithfully preach the word. But, um, but I hope the songs that we sing are also helping our congregations build deep believers, deep families, deep children. And so that's been... The work of our lives is to work alongside those guys that I grew up with who are pastors, very much the same as all of you are. And just in case you're curious, the churches that they're pastors of are all between 60 and 300 people. So they all went, to, all five went to Oxford or Cambridge, um, but they've all got involved in, in small local church ministry. And uh, 
That's been the work of my life is to do that. And so I'm thrilled today to share with you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk for about 15, 20 minutes just on the basics of singing. If some of you have been in one of these talks before or read the sing book, there will be some overlap for which I kind of apologize, but it has to be done. Then we're going to introduce you very kindly. The Shepherds Conference and Grace Community Church have kindly sponsored to print out some of our new songs so that you can bring back some new songs to try your churches. I've recommended some of the songs that we're involved in that might be helpful for that. And then in the last 20 minutes, the last 20 minutes, we're going to go for Q&A. So you can ask questions and answers. Just so you know, the rules are two things. Number one, your question has to be a question, not a statement. And number two, it can only last one sentence, okay? So it can only last one sentence and it can be a single question. So is, is John Martin here or is he gone? Is, is John Martin here? No. Phil, Phil can, you, can you be my time check? Can you give me, so when we're 20 minutes in, can you say we're 20 minutes in? And then when we're 40 minutes in, can you tell me 40 minutes in? And I might, I might listen to you, all right? Or I might just ignore you, to be honest. So um, that's my choice. But anyway, why don't we pray as we begin this time together? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege uh, to come away from the, the work that you've called us to just to, for this extraordinary time of encouragement for richness, for learning, for inspiration. And our hearts are full. Our hearts are full with gratitude for, for so many things, for the ability and the, the, of so many folks in this church, from the gifted teachers to the volunteers who give up so much of their life and their comfort just to serve and help us um, really benefit uh, from this conference. We thank you for these people. We thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for the families and teachers and pastors and parents and neighbors and musicians, all who give of their time to pass on their faith uh, to our generation. And Father, we pray that, that out of this conference, each of us will be more able, equipped to pass on to those who we serve and love as well. Most of all, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We know that this subject of singing, whether it's our hearts or our emotions or our tongues or our words, Father, you know that all of those things have fallen short of your standards even this day. You know that if the person next to us knew some of the things that we thought, they really would be very uncomfortable sitting beside us. And yet, you, uh, you, it's, the Bible says you delight, in our, you delight in the praises of your children. Father, that, that the, the scriptures, but yet the scripture says only he who has clean hands and, and, and pure heart can come before you. And so, Father, ultimately, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for this gospel, for this good news, for forgiveness, for a new day, for a new life. And, Father, we pray that as we just enjoy this conversation, as we sing, as we continue our, converse, our, our, our dialogue here and after this class, Father, we pray that we will go away um, able to build deep able to grow in our own faith, but able to build deeper families and deeper churches and deeper communities that bring your faith to a world that so desperately needs it at this time. In Christ's name, amen. So, as I say, we're, uh, we, um, my, my hero is Martin Luther. If you want to learn something about Martin Luther, get, get Al Mohler's talk on it. It'll be way better than anything else, I suspect. But, but um Three, three or four years ago, I turned 40 four years ago. I know, I look, I look about 32, but I, 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 turned 40, I began to think about doing some help. What could we do to help congregational singing a little more than just doing 12 weeks a year traveling around churches? And, uh, 
And uh, we began to have a conversation about, an event, uh, about a, a, a book and a conference. Um, and we tied it in with, with the 500th anniversary of, of, of Luther's Reformation last year to really help people look about congregational singing. And we asked really two questions to start. Number one is, why do we sing? Because we have to know the whys of doing something. And it's, it strikes us that as we look around what, and look at the practice of local churches and singing, that the whys actually aren't even understood most of the time. And then secondly, what happens when we sing? And while I am more on the musical side of a church and the musicians have an extraordinary responsibility, ultimately the primary responsibility of what our congregations sing, of how they sing and understanding why they sing and what happens when they sing is that of the senior pastor. We have traveled to over a thousand churches in America in 14 years. We have seen every denomination, We have seen every musical style. We've seen every socioeconomic group. We have seen various ethnic groups. We have seen um, every size of church. And the single biggest common denominator with a church that sings well is a pastor that cares. The ability of the music director, the musicians that you have, the resources that you have are always going to be secondary to a pastor that cares and a pastor that leads. And so let's remember from the start that our congregational singing is our responsibility. Let me go even further than that. When Luther began with that first hymn book in 1524, every evangelical movement since then has actually either created their own hymn book for their denomination, or like John MacArthur or Spurgeon or Moody or whatever, many of the, the more leaders of independent groups have created their own hymn book for their people. In other words, the pastor has taken control of what they sing. And it's important to remember because if we don't have a hymn book, just, just to be clear, if we don't have a hymn book and we're just going with what um, the, the PR is telling us, the, the, the Christian music industry and the Christian radio industry are today primarily owned by Wall Street. So actually the demands of Wall Street for the first time in Christian history will be telling your church ultimately what they have to sing and what they shouldn't sing. Again, that's a little bit of a sweeping statement, slightly provocative, but not without truth and frightening enough for each of us to understand that it is our responsibility if we say we love our congregation and if we say we love God's word, that we actually are taking responsibility for the songs our churches sing. But before we even do that, we need to ask, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Forgive my Presbyterian roots. I have to have three points and they have to begin with the same letter. The first one is that we sing because we're, we're commanded to sing. If we take singing and add other derivative words in scripture, like extol, exalt, praise, and put them all in one little bucket, singing is actually the single most common command in all of scripture. In other words, singing is extraordinarily important to God. Not only does it say that, but it actually tells us a little bit more about that. It says that we sing in the assembly of the people. We sing together to one another. Indeed, most of the singing in scripture is about singing to one another. So we want to think about how we have to teach our congregations to either, even comp, overcompensate for the architecture. That we're singing to one another. It's a responsibility uh, that, 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 that we love each other enough to do that. We sing, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The scripture says the scripture should be rich and full in the songs that we sing. We sing with thankfulness. In other words, to be a truth warrior and to sing with a face like somebody stole your donut actually isn't scriptural. We sing with thankfulness. We sing with thankfulness because this is the greatest news that we could possibly have. To, 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 to have a joy in celebration 
for secondary things in life and not in singing is telling other people an awful lot about our own souls. So let's make sure that, when that, that singing is understood, that it is a command. It is not something we go to church and if we decide that the music connects with us, we like the choice of songs, we like the people at the front, or our mood is significantly positive enough that we want to happen to give of our energy, or indeed, the other one I hear quite a lot, especially from guys, is singing works for me or music isn't for me. No, we sing because of obedience. So number one, our congregations have to know that we sing as an issue of, of obedience. We sing because we're commanded to sing. Every one of our congregation should be committed to that. Secondly, we sing uh, because we are created to sing. God has made each one of us to sing, indeed, even generations yet unborn. We sing because he's created us now. I've actually heard quite a lot since I arrived here about the sovereignty of God, which is a great thing. But that also means if we extend that to how we sing, that each of us sing at different levels. What happens if I can't sing? What happens if singing doesn't move me as much? You know, my wife, she likes to sing. She gets all emotional. She you knows she cries a lot. It suits her. I'm more into, you know, sport, theology, whatever. I'm not that emotional. No, God has created each of us with different voices. And it's actually the same for me. My, my wife met me three years ago. It was actually the year our concert played here with you guys at Grace Community. And she met me just before the tour and she said, Keith, we have to talk. Now, I presume all of you know that when your wife says, we have to talk, what follows, what follows is not going to be, you know, you've just become too selfless. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so she said, we're, I think we need to turn your microphone off during our concerts this year on the tour. And I went, what? And she goes, you're not a great singer, Keith. And I went, yes. He goes, and, and you sing a little bit erratically. And then when the, the violins play reels and jigs, you make these funny noises with your mouth and it puts everybody off. And I went, sweetheart, I love to sing. She goes, I know you do, but you can sing off mic. We're just going to turn your microphone off. So you just need to know. I said, sweetie, if this is going to happen, I want to speak to the band. And she goes, the band have met. <laughs> Twice. So I can't sing as good as my wife, but the Lord loves to hear me sing because it's the confessional standard and not the professional standard of how we sing. And we have to make sure that when we teach this and we encourage our congregations, that everyone in the congregation is encouraged to sing, that the Lord delights in our praises. The best illustration I have is my little daughter's. Um, Eliza is eight. She's oldest child. She wants to always overachieve all the time. So what we do, as I was explaining yesterday, we sing each, each month probably most days of the month, I would say probably at least 25 days of a month, we bring the girls upstairs, we put them to bed, and we teeth, toilet, into your bed, and then we sing a hymn together. Then say the Lord's Prayer and go to sleep. Or I say a prayer and go to sleep. And uh, so one month it was holy, holy, holy. So Eliza, I said, who, want, who wants to sing the hymn tonight? Eliza goes, I want to sing it, I want to sing it. So she sings it through perfectly with a real sort of intense look on her, on her like furrowed brow. And... Uh, we finished it. Well done, Eliza. Was that my best performance ever, Dad? Yes, of course it was. So our maverick middle, Charlotte, I said, do you want to sing? No. I said, okay, Charlotte, don't you sing. She goes, I want to sing. Okay, Charlotte, you sing. So maverick middle, Charlotte singing. She doesn't care as much. She's like rolling her eyes at her sister. She, but she's a lovely voice and that's good. Then Gracie, number three, she says, I want to sing. I want to sing because she wants to be like her big sister. So she goes, holy, 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 how I wonder what you are up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky holy 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 blessed trinity (laughs) 
No, the point is, is dad, you're just delighted to hear your girls sing. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's a degree to which our Lord hears all of our singing, however skillful it is. But we need to communicate this to our congregations because in the American Idol generation and in the individualist generation that's growing on, we can't let that spill into our congregations. So everybody needs to be encouraged to sing. Everybody needs to understand why we sing. So we, we, we sing because we're commanded. We sing because we're created. But finally, and this is a slight stretch in the whole sea thing, but it's all I could manage, was we sing because the love of Christ compels us to sing. When we think about the God of the universe, when we think, when we, when, when we sing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The Psalms reply, how can I keep? The Psalms reply, and I will sing. The old hymn says, how can I keep from singing? This is the greatest news in the world. It should be the highlight of our week. Our singing as congregation should be a highlight, if not the highlight in our week. We should want to sing. It's what God's people do. It's what we've always done. I love the old Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir video where the guy sings, I'm clean, I'm clean, I've been washed in the blood. A guy whose life was left for dead on the streets of Brooklyn through an addiction to crack cocaine. We would probably not have even noticed him in the street to our own shame. And he gets miraculously saved through the blood of Christ and he sings, I'm clean, I'm clean. I've been washed in the blood. That's what each of us sing. And it may be as spectacular as that, your conversion. Or it may be simply that when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see a Savior there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. How can we not sing? So we, we, singing is always a response to revelation. You know, Doxology is always a response to theology. Let's make sure our sermons are firing our people to want to sing. I encourage you to sing songs at the end of your sermons in your churches or finish your services with, and when you're starting your services, give people the scriptures. Uh, Michael gave us the scriptures this morning, the Revelation 5, leading into holy, holy, holy. We don't have to talk for five minutes and bore people, but let's make sure when they arrive on a Sunday, it's not just a bunch of jokes about how you're feeling. It's sunny, it's rainy, it's whatever. The sports team did this. Forget that stuff. Let's give people a picture of the God of the Bible. And then let's encourage them to sing. It can be as simple as just taking a psalm, which is a command to sing because of the glory of God. Stand the whole congregation up and have them read it on the screen. Then start singing. We're compelled to sing because of the most extraordinary Good news, that is the only hope for the world. So that's why we sing. What happens when we sing? Just four things I want you to think about as pastors, as you think about your church this Sunday, um, and as you think about your leadership, as you think about your families and everything else. Number one is that when we sing, um, we, and we talked about this earlier, um, we learn our faith in very significant part. It, 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 it inflects our memories, it inflects our minds, it inflects our emotions, it inflects our souls, it inflects our prayers, it inflects our words. Every part of us are changed by what we sing. So that's why it's so important that the content of the songs that we sing gives people a vast picture of the God of the Bible. Authentic worship begins with an authentic picture of God. Authentic worship doesn't begin with an authentic feeling. A lot of these companies that are trying to sell you worship or worship tools or worship whatever, are, are trying to call authentic worship kind of a quiver in your liver. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that, that, if you get that feeling, well, I'm sorry, but 
Some of them, I've spent time in the last two days with friends who I suspect will not get that feeling for a long time, given the struggles that they're going through. And that does not make worship any less authentic. Authentic worship can only begin with an authentic picture of the God of the Bible. So um, what this year with, our, with, with the saying, we've been, we've been really focusing pastors on, on, on worship leaders on the Psalms. The Psalms gives us this picture of a God of the Bible who, who is glorious, who is majestic, who is creator, who is sustainer, who is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, who is our judge, who we will one day stand before and who cannot tolerate sin, who is a God of wrath, who is a, God of, who is a jealous God, who is a God who is full of compassion, who is a God who cares about injustice, who is a God who loves the meek and lowly, who is a God who hears our prayers, who is a God who is longing to forgive, who is a God who delights in our prayers. I hope the songs that we're singing on a Sunday are giving our people a big picture of the God of the Bible. I hope if we were to draw a conclusion about the God of the Bible, of the God that we worship through the songs that are being sung in your church, that it is this kind of picture. I hope, because if it's simply a picture of a God who delights in praise and who is loving in a kind of a nebulous, nondescript kind of way, all we're doing is contributing to what the media is trying to tell everybody, that Christianity is simplistic answers to difficult questions. Friends, if that's the songs that you're singing and that's the songs your kids are singing, that Christianity is simplistic answers to difficult questions. And frankly, it's actually unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. So let's make sure that if we say we, the truth is important to us and the scriptures are important to us, that the songs that we sing are an equivocation to the, the preaching that we do. Um, secondly, um, what we sing affects our families. It's I mean, four points, and they're just concentric circles working outwards, individuals, families, churches, and communities. So secondly, families. Um, and I think this point, and, and Joel Bickey, who you heard earlier, has talked about this a lot, is that the, the, the New England Puritans, and he's a big, uh, he's a big supporter, of the, he's a big expert in the Puritans. I think he is a Puritan, isn't he? I think he may, he may actually be a Puritan, actually. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, he, he tells a wonderful story about, about the early New England Puritans who wouldn't allow a man to take communion on a Sunday if he wasn't praying and singing with his family each day. And I think we would probably call that an overreach of the Lord's Supper, but their, their argument would be that actually this is your primary role in life. Earning money is actually, is actually a lower priority than this. And uh, so, so but, but it does, it, it perhaps shows the, the, the biggest contrast in our generation. It is, you know, I, <coughs> last time I was here, I told the story of Cecil Francis Alexander, who, um, who wrote many of those hymns, uh, all, all Things Bright and Beautiful, uh, Once in Royal David City. These were hymns written for eight-year-old children because she was concerned that eight-year-old children a hundred years ago, over well, long more than a hundred years ago, were singing such shallow songs that their faith would not last them to adulthood if they grew up in shallow songs. And so she took the Apostles' Creed, broke it down, and all things bright and beautiful was um, maker of heaven and earth, the phrase maker of heaven and earth. And with spectacular poetry, with using the five senses in her lyric, with developing an idea that lasted eight verses. She helped generations of children in schools and in homes and in churches understand that they were fearfully and wonderfully made 
that they had dignity, purpose, meaning. They were not random molecules who simply eat, drink, dance, and be merry because tomorrow we die, so we've got to squeeze out every, every, every ounce of juice now. No. And so it is so important for the generation to come. I've also told the story the last time that I met, the first time I got to go for coffee with Dr. MacArthur, I was meeting him in Panera Bread. You know the Panera Bread down near where, near, down near, near, near where we used to stay at the hotel and, uh, the, for Shepherd's Conference. So I met Dr. MacArthur at Panera Bread and I was having a, Chris and I were having a really bad morning. The kids were misbehaving and we were getting more and more frustrated. So he could see I was stressed. And he goes, are you okay? And you know when you meet somebody who you kind of have admired and you're a little intimidated? You say it's like something really dumb. So, so I said, instead of just saying, yes, thank you, Dr. MacArthur, I'm fine. How are you? I said, any advice on raising kids? <laughs> and he actually began, he started to say, well, was it? a lot of it begins with the songs you filled your home with. The songs we fill our homes with. And he actually said to me, where, where life happens, fill your home with songs of the Lord. The car, you talked about the car being a key place, or the kitchen and the, the playroom and things like this. And just the importance of filling our homes with songs of the Lord. I'm not advocating that you have to have organized singing in your home, but I do believe that we want to fill our homes with songs of the Lord. Every child has a song. All of my girls have songs every day, and I, I really hope <laughs> that those songs are, 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 are indeed songs of the Lord, and, and, and not least of all, because it really does help our congregation singing. Thirdly, the, the, our singing affects the communities of our churches. Um, and I, I should also say, I should also say, if any of us take, what I remind myself is, uh, is I cannot take a platform to write or lead singing or lead a congregation if I'm not first looking after the singing in my home. So I encourage your congregations in this. Be innovative. Use these iPhones that are the tool that is destroying our congregation's marriages. And actually ask your congregation to load up songs for their kids. You can make your own playlists. Perhaps, perhaps send the songs you're singing on Sunday out on a Wednesday and tell your congregation to start playing them in the car. Find, find ways to do that. But let's move to the congregational singing. And that is that when we talk about the music in our churches, let's remember that the sound, of our con- the sound of our church's music is the sound of our congregation singing. The privilege that I have to accompany you or to accompany my church is the privilege of accompanying God's people singing. When we sing, the choir is the congregation, and that may include a wonderful choir, and if it does, that can be great. The audience is God. It is not a performance on a stage which we come to make an assessment of. And if you're a musician, encourage your musicians to build a culture. Encourage your musicians to build a culture of helping our congregations sing better. Just, I have so little time today, I'm not going to develop arguments. I'm presuming you're mostly on my side in these things. But, but, um, but just as we think through, as we think through this, let's, let's, obviously singing is a spiritual activity. And so primarily we, we, we want it to be saved people. That is the most important thing in all of this. But in terms of our leadership and our preparation, let's make sure as pastors, our whole congregation know why they need to sing. And they're being encouraged, that they're not being patronized, but they're being encouraged, that we're modeling it, that we're excited about it. Let's make sure that the songs we sing are singable. The number of events I've had to appear at over the years, where there's some guy at the front singing this dumb song with like four words and two chords, 
And like, it just goes round and round till you're about to bang your head off a wall. And the front three rows are all like jumping up and down, going crazy. And everybody else is sitting looking at their phone, wondering why they're there. And then about three songs in, they sing, How Great Thou Art, and suddenly everybody sings, or Holy, Holy, Holy. And suddenly everybody sings, you're going, yeah, why didn't they just start with this? You're like, what on earth are we wasting our time for 12 minutes for? You know, I was with a friend recently and their 21-year-old child had died of leukemia and it was her funeral. And they loved that kind of music. It was our common, it was our common every time we met, it was kind of almost like the joke that we'd argue about church music. And they said, they said, uh, I, they said we, wanted, we wanted you to come and help with the funeral. These are the songs we're doing. And I said, oh, I've never heard those songs in your home. And they went, no, this is it's too serious for those kind of songs. It's kind of a sad reflection that congregational worship is so trivial. Um, let's make sure let's make sure the songs we sing uh, help our congregation sing well. Let's make sure that the music team, whether it is one person, whether it is four people, whether it is a choir, whether it is a band, that each one of them are bought in to helping our congregation sing each week. And let's make sure our congregation build a culture each week. Ask the question. We've in our church. We went back to the simplification of, and I'm, I'm not the music guy, Tommy is, I'm just the, I'm just the kind of the side guy. But uh, uh, we went back to just the basis of every week we just asked, how did the congregation sing? And just that was the only focus for about a year. It took about a year to change the culture. And it's a wonderful singing church because of it. Finally, let's remember that our singing is a witness. Um, God's people singing has always been a witness throughout history. In the Old Testament, it was often a witness. In the New Testament, we see it in the Acts of the Apostles. We see it with Paul and Silas. Uh, we see it throughout church history. We see it in revival history. God's people are singing. I remember talking to Cliff Barrows once and saying, why do they always insist on congregational singing in Crusades? And he said, because there's a unique witness when God's people sing. And I believe as our culture continues to fragment and collapse, that God's people getting together to sing, as, as simple as it may seem to some people, will actually be an increasingly beautiful thing at multiple levels that's attractive. And this idea that performance music, which I love, by the way, I, I, I have a very high view of music in all areas of church, but this idea that you need to perform something about 40% as well, as you can hear it in iTunes, somehow attracts people to Christianity, is, is actually has limited effect. I think God's people singing passionately is a far more unique witness in the culture that we live in, a far more needed witness in the culture we live. Um, singing helps. Singing is always a witness to the, whether it's to the unsaved spouse in our church, whether it's to, whether it's to people who are visiting our church. Frankly, whether it's to the person in your church who's, who, who's been a Baptist since, since before Moses, but, um, but, 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 but still doesn't know the Lord. Let, let's remember that we sing not just because the Lord is worthy of praise and not just because we want to sing, but when we're singing, it's a community group. It's a responsibility to other people, believers and even unbelievers. And also let's remember the congregation of singing as it fires us to witness. So we want to sing about the gospel and we want to sing about the importance of witness as well in our songs. We want to sing about the gospel and sing about eternity. 75% of great hymns approximately talked about eternity, usually in the last verse, sometimes in the chorus, sometimes throughout, usually in the last verse. They talk about heaven, hell, judgment, or the life to come. In modern worship songs, less than 3% talk about eternity. So be aware of these things because there is no way that that change in culture is not breeding a new generation of people 
who have a far more narcissistic, far more unbiblical, far more selfish and shallow approach to life. Let's make sure we fill our people with eternity and the need to witness. I'll never forget a lady called Helen Rosevere. She was a missionary. You may have heard of, anybody heard of Helen Rosevere? Yeah. She actually, she lived near us in Northern Ireland. Chris and I used to go visit her. And uh, she was doing a panel on why long-term missions are dying in the West and growing in the rest of the world. And so there a couple of internationals talking about why they were growing where they were. And then a couple from the West. And the other person was going, but well, it's, it's to do with cultures changing, you know, more, more indigenousness, more media, more all these kind of things. And socioeconomically, it doesn't work anymore. And all these kind of reasons. And I got to Helen Rosevere and she goes, well, if we don't preach about the gospel and God's wrath, and we don't sing about the gospel and God's wrath, why would anyone be a missionary anyway? And so let's remember that we, we need to be singing about these urgent things. And it is, it, is, it is important as we think about mission even beyond that as well. Anyway, that's just a start. How's my time going, guys? 25 minutes done or gone? 25 left? You're kidding me. Oh, really? Okay, two, why did you, Phil, you were supposed to tell me. What? You were supposed to call out 20 minutes. Jeez. Everyone, do not use Phil for time and future. <laughs> well, I want to thank, I want to thank um, Shepherds Conference and Grace Moody who kindly copied out all these songs for you to take home. These are songs, this is, can I have a copy of that pack for a minute? These are songs we want you to take home. Do you mind if I just borrow it for a minute? I mean, I know how they go. I just want to remember what the songs were. <laughs> so... Um, so this, this, was, this was their generosity, not ours. But these are songs, if you don't know, just for a few them for next year. His mercy is more we did yesterday. It's a gospel song. Um, we, we've taught our kids this song. You know, it's um, wonderful. Stronger than darkness, near every morning. My, my wife sat up with our girls, talking about the darkness. What, how do they feel in the darkness, being scared of the dark? Then new every morning. How do you feel in the morning when, you're, um, when you run down to breakfast? And just explaining these songs to our kids. So we hope they'll go. Usually we teach old hymns, but... But that one is just wonderful. So I recommend that to your church and to your children. Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless. Is, we put this in here because it's an opening song. One of the hardest songs for our communities is to find opening songs with energy that also have content. There's plenty of big hymns we can use, plenty of slow songs, but up-tempo songs that aren't kind of, you know, that aren't kind of like dumb are really hard to find. So this song was primarily uh, Matt Papa and Aaron Keyes, and then they invited us to put a chorus on it, which we did which was kind of when we're doing the Psalms thing. So the chorus is kind of inspired by Psalm 136, but it's really just taking um, lots of images found throughout Scripture. And we'll we'll, we'll sing that song in a minute. We'll have a little run of that song in a minute. I will wait for you. I'm going to teach you that one as well. It's it's, it's from our uh, recent work on, we've started this project of going through all of the Psalms and setting them. I'll explain it in a minute. My worth is not in what I own, we did yesterday, and our simple gospel song, relatively new, it's been out there for a while, but looks at the important subject of identity. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly ones of love of the cross. We use that song as, an, as a kind of a response song. We use it as an offering song. We use it as a song leading into a sermon. We use it as a song in communion. And then the Lord is my salvation. Was in it. it was actually began my wife doing a meditation in Psalm 27. Then she added a second psalm, which I've just forgotten. And then we put some music to it. And we did that yesterday. The singing in this song yesterday was wonderful, by the way. It was really great singing. John Martin complimented you all. Didn't you, John? You thought that, one, that was the song of the day yesterday, singing-wise, wasn't it? I think it got beaten today. I think, I think today was better. <laughs> kind of hard to beat grit as a faithfulness, isn't it? 
especially with the big word faithful behind you. Um, and, then, and then the Lord's my shepherd is a setting of Psalm 23. If you're a guitar, if you've got guitar players, give them a break and put it in, D, in the key of D. But they have it in the key of E flat here. And this is a really wonderful, simple setting of Psalm 23. But there, if you're looking for, say, I think, I think it's six songs to take home to your congregations, please do. Why don't we teach two that we're going to do today and just to get people going on them? Um, so Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless. Actually, actually, let's try that one. Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless. Our band call this song, Major- they call this song Majarvelous. So, okay, why don't we just read through it? Okay, one, two, three, four. Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless Love. Too vast and astounding to tell Forever existing in worlds above Now offered and given to all O fountain of beauty eternal The Father, the Spirit, the Son Sufficient and endlessly generous Magnificent, marvelous, matchless Verse 2 Creation is brimming with thankfulness The mountains exultant they stand The seasons rejoice in your faithfulness All life is sustained by your hand You crown every meadow with God You paint every shade in the sky Each day the dawn wakes as an encore and marvelous, matchless love. How great, how strong His love endures forevermore. Magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. Let's try one verse. Let's stand up. What grace that you entered. What grace that you entered our brokenness You came in the fullness of time How far we had fallen from righteousness But not from the mercies of God Your cross is a door to redemption Your death is a fullness of life That day have forgiveness flowed as a Magnificent, marvelous, matchless love How great, how sure His love endures forevermore Magnificent, marvelous, matchless love So that's the feeling of it. And then there's verse 4. There's a verse 4 which is missing in this, so I think... Is the verse 4 missing? Okay, so we're going to have to just find the rest of that. Okay, can we take a note to send that one? Okay, let's go to I Will Wait For You. This has been our our work for the year. I Will Wait For You, Psalm 130. But if you turn over the page, you will see, Lord, from the depths, I call to you. Okay? So what we're going to do with this song is we're going to take 
This is Psalm 130, known as the De Profundis, Out of the Depths of Caldy. It was Augustine's favorite psalm. It was Luther's favorite psalm. It was Calvin's favorite psalm and Wesley, Wesley's favorite psalm. So something for all of you. Somebody for, somebody for all of you to like. And, uh, so what we do is, this is the old Scottish tune, Martyrdom. I think you sing, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Is that right? So what we're going to do is we're going to sing verse one from us. I'll walk you through it as we go. And then we're going to turn over and sing the more ballad version that we wrote, Out of the Depths. And then we're going to go back and sing verse three to finish. You can use all the verses if you wish. But let's, let's start with Lord from the depths I call to you. So, Lord from the depths. One, two. Lord from the depths I call to you, Lord, hear me from on high, and give attention to my Lord when I Turn over the page, we'll do the ballad. Out of the depths I cry to you, in darkest places I will call. Incline your ear to me and you, and hear my cry for mercy. How could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace, Lord. I will wait for you. I will wait for you on your word. I will rely. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you till my soul is satisfied. So put your hope in God alone. Take courage in His power to save. Completely and forever one. By Christ emerging from the grave. I will
Come back over the page. Verse 3. I wait my soul. Wait for Wonderful. Please take the seat. Sorry, that sheet music isn't the most user-friendly, I don't think. Shall we do one more song? Do you want to go straight to questions? Oh, thanks now, Phil. That's great. Yeah, no problem. It's good. Okay, one more song. Let's do one more song, Lord's My Shepherd, and we'll go to questions. This is, this is a, I say, they've written it in E flat, but let your guitar player do it in D. He doesn't deserve that. And John, can, we, can, we, can you remind me to send digital versions to everyone here so we get the digital and we'll get the D versions? So here we go. Everyone, let's sing together. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures free. He leads me by the still His goodness restores my soul And I will trust in you alone And I will trust in you alone For your endless mercy follows me your goodness will lead over the page he guides my way in righteousness and he anoints my head with oil and my cup I feast on his pure delight, and I will trust in you, and I will trust in you, for your endless mercy follows me, your goodness Let's sing verse 3 again. Let's sing verse 3 again. And though I walk the darkest path, I will not fear the evil one. For you are with me and your right. 
are the comfort I need to know, and I will trust in you alone, and I will trust will and I will trust in you alone and I will trust in you alone for your endless mercy follows me your goodness will The Psalms have a unique ability, haven't they, to sing to our souls and just in sort of raw ways. So that's some, anyway, and I hope those songs can be useful to you. And I hope that's a real simple song to, sit, to teach your church. And uh, I said, I have requested that we will send digital versions just so that they're a little bit more. These are the first ones of these particular arrangements, just to make them a little more user-friendly. We're done? Oh, real quickly, um, uh, the Sing Conference, as I said, is, is each year to help our churches and their congregational singing. It's a combination of theology, of artistry, and, and, help, and tools to help us lead our worship. This year, we're looking at the life of Christ. Monday is, Monday is the incarnation. Tuesday is the Easter story. Wednesday is the Great Commission uh, and the Lord's return. We've got Os Guinness talking about uh, the, the, the incomparable life of Christ in the world, 21st century world of faith and unfaith. We've Don Carson talking about singing and believing the incarnation. We've Mark Dever talking about singing the gospel. We've John MacArthur on the sufferings and death of Christ. John Piper on the explosive power of the resurrection, I guess. Everything's explosive when it's John Piper. But anyway, that's what we, called. We, we called it that anyway before he decided to do it. It just happens that we got an explosive person. And then Wednesday, a group of different people from around the world talking about the challenge of the Great Commission. And then Johnny Erickson Tata wrapping up with Longing for the Lord's Returning, him singing. We've got a number of concerts at the Grand Ole Opry at the Bridgeton um, to enjoy music. And then we ourselves as a team are writing what we call the Life of Christ Quintology, which is 30 hymns that help teach teach. Uh, teach basic Christology to our congregations, which will be, which will be, will be recorded as well and be available too. So it's 19th to 21st of August. Recommend you come to that. Um, and we're also going to be taking it, have the privilege of taking that to churches around the country in October as well. So um, love to see you there or to talk to you about it afterwards. Our guys, Johnny McCabe, put your hand up. Johnny McCabe is organizing the, the, the tours and he's here. He can talk to you about the conference. If that can be of any help to you, it would just be an honor. Uh, to, to have you there. Can I take a couple of questions or not? Yeah, okay, two quick questions. Number one, quick question. How do you start writing a melody? How do you start writing a melody? You just do. Um, <laughs> I, write, I write about 100 for every one that I use. So you just, you just take your iPhone, use your voice memo, start recording them like that. And then when one of them isn't as bad as the rest, work harder on that one. Question here, sir. <laughs> You know what, we didn't, because we, uh, it's a bit more of a, tr yeah, well, what we should do, is I'm going to ask Bill Brandenstein if he'll mix it here, mix the version you did here last year and make that available. But, um, so it's not recorded yet, but I will ask Phil and John and Bill, 
Bob, if we can make that available, because we can get you the sheet music and the YouTube video. Here, sir. I would default to your church's leadership in that. Um, throughout history, uh, many of the songs you sing are sung by movements that you wouldn't have agreed with. You just don't know the, who they are. So there's no, there's no inherent sin in singing a song that is beautiful about the Lord. Bob has written that it's not a sin but you have to work out what your leadership feel is appropriate in terms, of, in terms of example and honor them that way. Sir, over there. If you go to Getty Music, a lot of it's available there, gettymusic.com. If, if you talk to, put your hand up, Phil, Phil Webb, Hymns of Grace, have a number of stuff, so Hymns of Grace as well. Um, so those would be your best two places to start. Ask the questions, they will respond to you. Anybody else here quickly? Um, how we do, you, you work out what's best for your congregation. I wouldn't presume because I don't know your people. What we do is we explain why it's important to sing it. First of all, teaching a new song. What happens to your congregation singing when you teach a new song? What happens? Okay. So if you're going to sacrifice their singing, make sure it's worth their while. Make sure the song is worth learning. Simply that your wife likes it or that it's been sung on Christian radio or the church down the road that are competing for your kids are doing it is not enough reason to do it. Okay, you do it because you really want your congregation. It's important for them to know. Secondly, once you do that, tell them why it's important. Once you've decided that, tell them why it's important. Thirdly, <coughs> teach a verse and a chorus or a verse clearly. Then go back to the start, bring the whole band in if you have one, and then sing through it. Do it three times in the first two months until they've got used to it and know it, and uh, then work it from there. That's what we do. And if they're still not doing it, after th if they're still not getting it three times in, take the hint. So... Let's thank Keith. <laughs>